Hey, you're listening to a sermon from Mountain View Church, Sunnyside. For gathering times and location, find us at sunnyside.mountainview.org. Have a seat. Uh, as you sit down, there's going to be a pen and uh, some post-its around where you are. So go ahead, write your name and your phone number on the pen and the post-its. And then when we close today, uh, Anna is going to tell us what we're doing with all that. And until then, you get to wait with expectation because you have no idea what could possibly happen. Just go with me on this. All right, so today, there's going to be a football game. Uh, there's one at noon, which nobody really cares about. And then there's one at 3.30. That's the closest one to here. A lot of you are wearing red. I'm wearing bright blue today on purpose. We're going to get into that in a little bit. And if you want to fight me, you got to go through Ralph, all right? That's why he sits in the front row. He's actually my bodyguard. They don't like sitting up here, but I ask him to sit there. It all starts in 2008, all right? December 26th, 2008. Uh, it was the Green Bay Packers against the Detroit Lions. Right, the, the result of that game mattered to me because when I was 13, I lived in L.A., and both L.A. teams left. Like 1994, both teams left. Los Angeles lost two football teams. Like it's really hard to have that bad of a season that the teams quit on you. And as a kid who grew up in L.A., like I had no one to root for. Like I, I like the Chargers weren't there yet. So I decided what every 13-year-old would do. I want to root for the disaster, okay? That's why we like videos of people failing. That's why we like videos of guys getting hit in places where they don't want to get hit. Is this the internal 13-year-old that laughs at people. And so I thought, I want to root for the team that everybody's laughing at. So each year I made the decision, all right, if a team goes 0-16, they're my team. And so I'd watch the results. And one year the Dolphins almost made it. And then they ruined everything. But December 26th, 2008, the Packers beat the Lions, and on that day, the Lions put the O in Motown. They went O in 16. And so living up here now, a bunch of years later, I decided, all right, I found my team. And the reality of that, of being a Lions fan, is 99 and a half days out of 100, I don't care. Right? Like, you've got a game that is always broadcast as the first game on Thanksgiving Day. The Lions are going to be on there. They're probably going to lose. And 99 years out of 100, I don't watch it because I'm doing other stuff. I'm just like you. I don't want to watch them get blasted again by Women's School for the Blind St. Francis beating the Lions like it happens every single year. But this year, they're good. Right, last year, I watched one play. All right? I turned on the Green Bay game right as the Lions went for it on fourth down to knock the Packers out of the playoffs. Thus says the Lord. It was good. And I'm like, all right, game's over. Turn it off. Put the kids to bed. Now they're actually good. And the reality is, is my lazy fanship now actually means something. And I'll be totally honest with you. For the past, let's see, eight, 15 years, being a lazy fan has really worked out. Okay. I used to get the ESPN updates of the score after each quarter, and so I'd finish for service, and I'd look at my phone to see what's going on, just like if there's anything, because internally, when there's something that happens in another building, we text back and forth, so there's stuff that's always going on on phones so that you never see it, uh, but I'll just say, hey, everything good in kids. Oh, wow, we're already down by 17, and it's the first quarter. This is life as a Lions fan. That's been my reality as a fan, and it's been really convenient. What's, short, what's fan short for? Fan is short for fanatic, all right? 
It takes a lot of energy for any of us to be a fanatic, to have the 49ers everything and the Raiders everything and to decorate your car for it and everything. I got one shirt and I got it on Amazon and I can wear it to the office. Like that's the extent of my fandom as a Lions fan. A lot of you are totally different, but it's really easy to just be pragmatically lazy. Reality for us all is none of us started out this way. For the things that we care about in life, we didn't start out not really caring. For a lot of the things that we're interested, we got interested in when we were really little kids. And if you think about when you were little or, or you see little kids around you, like they don't go halfway on anything. They go all out. So when I first heard about football and then went to my aunt's house and found out that they actually have football stuff at their house because I've got a cousin who's a little bit older than me, I was all in. And we got a picture of what that looked like way back sometime in the 80s. Yeah, that's me. Like, I am ready to go. Even though there's no part of that little kid that should ever see a football field, he weighs as much as the ball. It's not, it's not going to end well for him. He believes in Jesus, football, but not mathematics. Because that kid is not walking off the field on his own power. We go all in. But then as we grow up, as we step back, we get the opportunity to not really care about stuff. Each week over the, la over the last three weeks and the next few weeks, we're going to talk about seven good things that God puts in our world, that God wires us for, that God empowers us for, that God tells us, this is what I want you to do. But the reality for all seven of these good things is that when a good thing becomes a God thing, like the thing that we let rule our lives, it's always a bad thing. And so we talked about sexual attraction. We talked about good things and how those turn into lust and gluttony. And today we're talking about rest. Rest is a commandment from God. It's one of the 10 that he gave us and said, one day, one out of the seven days, I want you to just take a break. I want you to do something different. I want you to use that day to focus on me. It's called the Sabbath. But when rest becomes our God thing, that thing that everything else in our life bows down to, it's always a bad thing. It's going to damage us. It's going to damage our relationships. There's a moment, we've used this as our, our key verse for this series, where Jesus is at a well in the middle of the day. It's hot. It's hard work. He is all alone. And there's one person who walks up to him. She's all alone. It's hot. It's miserable. She's all alone. And Jesus says to her this, and this has been our core verse for these seven things. Let's put it on the screen. And Jesus says, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. That's the good thing that becomes a God thing. And the lady that he's saying this to, she understood better than anybody else what happens when you build your life on something that's going to end you up thirsty and leave you wanting, leave you tired, leave you exposed. She's there in the middle of the day by herself. Because she wanted to be. It's not just that, just that she's a not people person. It's that she chose to be alone and everybody around her chose for her to be alone. Her group left her. I think as an unmarried woman in this day, she still lives under her father's protection. And so her father would have been there. But things didn't go well. And so that relationship is broken too. She's there alone. And who talks to her? Jesus. And he says the same thing to her as he says to you and me today. Continues. 
but those who drink the water that I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. I don't know what it's like been in your house over the last couple weeks or any time before that, but if there's ever anything bubbling and springing inside of you, within you, that's a bad thing. Jesus says, no, I'm going to fill you with something better. I'm going to fill you with my spirit. It's going to be God moving to live inside of you. That instead of spending your life thirsty, it's going to be a good bubbling spring. The reason is because God sees the world. That moment where Jesus is at the well with the woman, carrying all sorts of baggage and all sorts of sin, not just like hurt, but sin, walking up to Jesus. That's exactly why Jesus came. Because it's the love of God, which extends to every person on the planet, you included, meeting the sinfulness of humanity, which separates us from a relationship with God, and also necessitated Jesus to come into the world, made it necessary for Jesus to come into the world. Because Jesus is the bridge between sinful humanity and a perfect God. That's why Jesus came into the world was because of moments like this for her and for you and for me. And he's saying, surrender to my kingship and I'm going to give you a new way to live. Where your good things don't turn into God things that turn into bad things and ruin you and me. I'm going to give you a new way to live. And so the good thing that we're talking about this week is laziness. It's laziness. I think up until 2020, laziness meant sweatpants 24-7. And then after 2020, sweatpants turned into the bottom half of business clothes, right? It was Walmart on top, or Walmart on the bottom, Macy's on top. It was kind of like a wardrobe mullet, like zoom on the screen, Walmart, Macy's. I'm good from the waist up. Don't ask me about down there. But, but laziness is so much different than that. I think there are three different types of laziness that we're going to talk about that we're going to look at. The first type of laziness is the one we're thinking of. It's sloth, right? This is a person who does nothing all day, none of it forever. They, they believe in gaming, DoorDash, and taking your mom's money. Like that, that is the sloth. They are fully in their pajamas 24-7. And we would say, yeah, that, that, they're lazy, right? That is laziness. The type of laziness that we don't recognize is the workaholic. Same as a sloth. Everything is about me. But instead of doing nothing and not getting in the game, not having that eye of the tiger, eight-year-old in the shoulder pads and helmet moment, it's I want to crush everybody around me. And their type of laziness is only putting everything that they do for themselves. It's just like the sloth, but instead of doing nothing except for poning noobs online, you're, you're investing your life in making yourself look better than your competition with nothing for anybody else ever. It's laziness. You might work more and have an ulcer, but it's still laziness. The third type of laziness is the zombie. And as you can tell, we watch a lot of kids' movies in our house. But, but the zombie is the person who does everything they're supposed to just so that they can get back to themselves. Get back to their life. Get back to what's comfortable for them. And there is what draws all three of these types of lazy together, the sloth, the workaholic, the zombie, all of these things are based on an inbuilt desire inside of you and me to control everything. 
our laziness comes to the surface through us trying to control everything and not us not even yielding an inch to how God wants to use your life and mine for something bigger than us. Like there's three types of people today. The people who are going to play in the game this afternoon. They they know who they are because they're already at the stadium. There's also the people who are going to watch the game today. Some of them are at the stadium. Some of them are going to watch at home. If you want a place to watch it, come to my house. It's a watch party. Bring something. I'll give you the address afterwards. It's going to be great. You're invited. Third group of people is the people who have no clue what's going on. And for the first two groups of people, there's a desire to get on the field, a desire to get in the game, separating us from laziness. The result of laziness is we lose appreciation for who God is and we lose our appetite for more. We lose our desire to get in the game. The end result of laziness is we look at our lives, whether whether or not we believe in a God who loves us, we think that there's nothing he can do for me. What God wants to wake us up to today isn't just doing more. You doing more because we're not, the, we're not the hero, we're not the answer, we're not the solution. It's to dive into appreciation of who God is and to have him grow inside of us an appetite for more. So where's the hope? Each week when we do this, there's seven decisions that I'm challenging you to make. And so one of these seven is going to lead us to hope. All these seven are going to lead us to hope. So seven decisions that we make today. Uh, we're going to go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. If you've got your Bible with paper and ink, you can go there now. Uh, if you've got a phone, there's a QR code on the paper that you were handed as you walked in. You can scan that, and it'll take you right to the passage so you don't have to flip through for the rest of the day trying to find this tiny little book. But it's written to a group of people with one theme, with one message. That's the fact that all of us are going to die. One day we're going to go to a funeral that we didn't plan on being at because we're the one in the basket or we're the one in the vase. Like that's our day. We're all going to die. The only alternative for that is if Jesus comes back beforehand. And the message of 1 Thessalonians is that we're going to die. So here is what we're going to do for our last time on earth. This is our two-minute drill. This is what we got to get done before it all ends for you and for me. And the first thing, the first decision that we make to walk us out of laziness today is to become a Christian today. This has been the first decision for everything else that we talked about before with lust, with gluttony. The first decision we can make today to find freedom is to become a Christian because you and I are not going to find freedom on our own. Like if we think about it, we're the only common denominator in every single problem in our life. Us. We're the person who's been there for every bad purchase, for every bad relationship decision, for every bad, you shouldn't have drank that, but you drank that. You shouldn't have smoked that, but you smoked that. We're the common denominator. We're not going to fix it. That's why Jesus moves in. The hope in all of this is we don't pray our way to being gooder. We're dead and lost in our sin. And Jesus takes our sin upon himself. We can understand that. It's like, all right, God, I need forgiveness. I need to pay penance so that you love me. But that's half the deal. The second half is that he puts his perfection on you and me. So when you look in the mirror and you see every regret that you have about every part of your life, you're not looking at a failure. You're looking at a son or daughter that Jesus died for. You know something is worthwhile by the amount that people will pay for it. Jesus paid for you with his life. And so he's saying, I'm going to work inside of you, and I'm going to change you. 
that happens when we become Christians. We're asking Jesus to forgive us for our sin, and when he does that, he moves in and begins to change us. That happens the day we ask Jesus to do that. And then it continues to happen for as long as we live. And for, for those of us who plan on living a long time, God says, okay, I'm going to get it all done in all that time. And it might happen faster than you expected, and it might happen slower, but I'm going to work every day to make you more like me. And that's the second thing, is if you've already said yes to Jesus, you've already experienced God's forgiveness for your sin, you already have new life in Jesus, then if you feel like, man, stuff is broken, it's fallen off, I need to put it back together. No, you don't need to put it back together. You need Jesus to put it back together. That's the second thing, is to recommit your life to Jesus today. That's where the hope lived. That's where life change happened. That's where regret disappears. This is where we get in the game. It is not because we're diving in. It's because Jesus is working in your life and mine to make us more like you. Maybe we go back to the football picture. Like This is the moment where God says, I'm putting you in. I'm going to use that intensity in my world to change this because you know people who know you but don't know Jesus. And we are plan A forever. God's only plan A to reach the world is through men and women. We love him and say, okay, I'm giving up laziness. And I'm going to step into the life that you have for me. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 9. Paul is writing to this tiny church and he says, this is what we're going to do for our last two minutes. Here's three ways where I want you to jump in, to jump away from laziness, to jump into using your life so that the world can know Jesus. It starts like this. It says, we don't need to write to you about the importance of loving each other, for God himself has taught you to love one another. Indeed, you already show your love for all the believers throughout Macedonia. Even so, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you to love them more. So the first decision that we make to step out of laziness, to step into God-honoring activity, is to join a serve team. If you look around in this place, there's a ton of things that are done by volunteers. I was totaling it up this week. And for every area where we want people to jump on a team, whether a team that's already existing or one of the new teams that we're starting, we've got 57 of you guys already making everything happen. Like you show up early, you stay late, you make things happen where people can see it, you make things happen behind the scenes. You're already part of making this happen. So what's Paul saying is there's a need for us to get involved. And so I'm asking you to demonstrate your love for the church in one more way. For those of you who are already on a team, who are already making things happen, just go to your phone for a little bit, right? You don't need to do one more thing. For the rest of us, this is a moment for us to say, okay, God, where where are you going to use me? Where do you want to use my abilities the things that I can work super hard on and make them perfect. Where do you want to use these for your church, for your kingdom, for people who don't know about you, don't care about you, but you have sent me on a mission for them? This one smacks in the face of the workaholic because all of a sudden, all their energy, all their strive, all their grind isn't used for them anymore. God says, I want you to use it for people who don't know me, don't care about me, don't know about the church, and don't care about the church yet. So if you walk out the door... Uh, there's some black pieces of paper with right, white writing on them. And it's, a lot of them are the usual suspects, okay? We're looking for people who can sing and play instruments well to join the worship team, people who like to pay attention and love computers to make everything show up on the screen exactly on time. It's the usual things that we always want people to join into because it all matters, like kids' ministry. But we've got one that's new this year, and I'm excited about it. 
because it's going to taste really good. We've got the cleanest church kitchen in all of creation because nobody ever uses it, okay? I want to get that messy, and part of the reason why I want it to get it messy is because things that come out of a kitchen give people a reason to stick around, right? We're going to get into this a little bit later, but one of the ways that we can build church community around here on this place is by putting stuff in our pie hole that gives us a reason to stick around. If you're eating a burrito that you bought in the kitchen and it's giving you a reason to stay here, you're going to talk to people, you're going to build relationships, find out that the things that God does in other people's lives, God actually wants to do in you. So one of the teams that I want to start is a burrito team. People who can get here early on Sundays, make some breakfast burritos. We sell them to recoup the cost, not to make a profit, just to make even. And we create more of an inviting place for the people that you're going to bring with you on Sunday to come to church. So for those of you who sleep until 7 a.m. is like you should check me for a pulse because I'm usually up way earlier than that, I want you to join the burrito team. And use what God has given you in making food and doing it repetitively and making it awesome. Use that to create an environment here where people can stick around, where people can build relationships, where people can share the things that God is doing in their lives. So you can sign up for that as we head out. And then Paul continues, verse 11. He says, make it your goal to live a quiet life, minding your own business and working with your hands just as we instructed you before. Then people who are not believers will respect the way you live and you will not need to depend on others. The decision you can make around this one today is, is to join a life group. Right, I want to tell you a secret, okay? Serve teams, what all of those are going to do is those are going to empty you out in a good way. Nobody walks out of here on Sunday after serving just thinking, man, I feel so alive. You feel a little bit tired, but it's good tired, okay? It's like a workout tired. I'm so glad I did that. I'm exhausted now. I'm going to sleep well. That's good. Here's the secret about life groups, okay? Life groups are selfish. The reason why is because they teach us how to live our lives better after Jesus. They teach us how to do better in life. Jesus didn't just come to give us a good life, but to make us better at living our lives. So there's two of them in particular. One of them is called Financial Peace. It's out there on the white paper with the black writing. That helps you get your finances in order. You boss your money around so that your money doesn't boss you around anymore. It will not make you rich. Okay? Jesus was a broke homeless man. So thinking that worshiping him is going to make you all like flush with cash, that doesn't work. But instead, it takes money, moving it from a fearful thing to a thing that we can worship God with, not just worship it out of fear. You can sign up for that. Another one that we're starting that's new here uh, is I know from talking with most of you that Sunday, after, Sunday evening is the one night a week where you are the most free. So what we're going to do is we're going to start a group that we're calling Church Part 2. It's going to meet here three out of four weeks, uh, and we are going to go deeper in the sermon. So we're going to clear out the chairs. We're going to have tables because there's not a lot of talking going on right now. This is a monologue. This is not a dialogue. But around tables where grown-ups learn by talking to each other, we're going to go deeper into the things that we talk about in the message and also deeper into how it impacts us and deeper into relationships because you're hearing God's truth spoken by everyone who's around you. We're calling it church part two. It's going to be dinner. We're going to have kid care in the other rooms. This is our way to take everything that's happening here on a Sunday and make it internal. Make it for you. So you can sign up on the paper out there, on the wall out there. That's why you've got post-its on there. 
In the next few minutes, we're going to be finished. And I'm, between now and then, I want you to take your post-it, take your pen, write your name and your number on multiple post-its. Because in a little bit, Hannah's going to dismiss us, and we're going to go out, and I want you to put your post-it on the wall for you to volunteer, for you to join a team, join a group somewhere. And with life groups, you're joining because you're saying, I want to get better. This isn't about me emptying out. This is about me getting better. The next thing is something that goes into our relationship with God. Because so often it's the type of thing that it's, it's ordinary, it's routine. He continues, we tell you this in verse 15, directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. And the fifth thing that we do to decide to leave laziness, to move into a God-honoring life is to join Sunday morning prayer. Why? It's because for us as believers, when Jesus comes back, we're going to spend the rest of our lives with him. Like that's the only alternative. And prayer is a conversational part of our love relationship with God. We're going to get used to talking to God, used to hearing from God. We've got a group that meets every Sunday at 8.15 over there for us to listen to God for the church, to us to pray for the church, right? Right now, counting today, we got 64 days until Easter. I'm a pastor. Like, we always just have to know these things. Pop quiz, how many days till Easter? 64, which means in two weeks, there's going to be 50 days left until Easter, counting that Sunday. We're going to start a book in two weeks called 50 Reasons Why Jesus Came to Die. And it's going to walk us through 50 parts of Easter and how God uses all these things perfectly to save you and me from our sin. And for those of you who want to learn more about God and how much he loves you and everything he did to rescue you, then I want you to join that group. I'm going to put your post-it there. I'll send you some information this week about where you can buy the book, listen to the book, or do it all for free on YouTube. For those of you who are into things that are free 99, this is our way of growing our relationship with God, of growing our expectation for what God is going to do. The sixth decision we can make today to lead us out of laziness is to read your Bible and do your shape journal four times a week. Science says that when you do something four times a week, it starts to get inside of you and become part of you. And God wired us that way for a daily conversation between us and him. So like I said last week, grab a shape journal on your way out. If you don't have one, you got a Bible on your phone or you can get a Bible in the cafe. And let's dig into what God wants to say to us. We are not good and getting better. We are dead in need of a savior. Jesus is our savior. And reading his book is going to keep reminding us of that. And then thing number seven is leave slowly. Leave slowly today. As you walk out, possibly the sun is shining. It's warm. We got stuff for the kids to do on the lawn. And then we got a bunch of groups that are going to change your life. This is how we get in the game. God's not tired. God hasn't given up. God didn't have a losing season God is on the move to save the world, and he's inviting you and me into this. To move from the stands, move to the field, move into the game of how he wants to rescue and save the world, and we get to be part of that. And as you head out today, leave slowly. Find someone to talk to. Start building a relationship. Sign up for a group. Sign up for a team, and let this be the avenue that God draws you to. 
And if you want to start that today, talk to me afterwards, get my address, and we'll see you at 3.30 for the game. All this stuff, all this stuff is really practical, and it's really simple because God loves us enough to make stuff really clear and really simple, to draw us from the simple things into how amazing and how great he is. Let's stand and pray. Thank you for listening. If you want to hear more, you can find us at sunnyside.mountainview.org. Now let's go be a church that makes Jesus look good.